You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey, y'all, it's Bridget here. I had the pleasure of chatting with Megan Breyer, the on-premise trade relations manager for Maker's Mark, and Amanda Humphrey, the Maker's Mark education and drinks program manager. Megan and Amanda shared with me their road to Maker's Mark, their insights and passion on the importance of wellness, what they love the most about the beverage industry, and so much more. Sit back, grab your favorite Maker's Mark cocktail, and enjoy this episode. Amanda and Megan, welcome to Served Up. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having us. I've been wanting to come on this podcast for, well, since I've been stalking you guys during COVID and the <laughs> pandemic. So thanks for having us. We're super excited to be here. Can't wait to have a conversation. Well, let's get started. Megan, I want to start with you. Um, can you tell us about your journey into the beverage world? You know, where did you start? Where did you grow up? And um, how did you get to become all things Maker's Mark? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so I actually started in the industry over a decade ago. I'm born and raised in Kentucky, uh, but started my career up in Northern Kentucky. Technically, I think my first job was at a tumbleweed, which was, uh, kind of doing 99 cent margaritas and things like that. From there, I worked at a bar Louie through college, um, and finally ended up in Louisville where I ran events for a place called 21 C hotels. And from there. Uh, they owned a little place called Garage Bar, which is also in Louisville. Love that place, by the way. <laughs> um, and so I was the GM there for a few years, which was super fun. So basically the the hospitality bug bit me. That was really where I fell in love. And then bars and restaurants and things of that nature kept pulling me in a little bit further. I got really, really passionate about bourbon, especially when I moved to Louisville. And an offer um, at Jim Beam or an opportunity at Jim Beam made itself available about seven years ago as the Jim Beam Kentucky Bourbon Ambassador. And so um, that's how I came to Beam Suntory. From there, I traveled out west. So I had Kentucky first and I got to do all the things with Fred No at the James B. Beam Distilling Company. Had a really, really good time traveling around. Got moved out west where I had six states underneath of me. And then I got all of the American whiskey portfolio at Beam Suntory. So everything from James B. Beam, including Knob Creek, Basil Hayden, Bakers, Bookers, Old Grandad, Old Crow, all of those good things. And then I also got the Maker's Mark distillery under me as well. So I got to start talking about Maker's Mark and that amazing weeded bourbon. And about two years ago, I made the decision to get off the road and go to our corporate offices in Chicago. So now I am the on-premise trade engagement manager for Maker's Mark specifically and developing educational programming for our trade friends out there. Yeah, that's amazing. Where did you go to college? I went to a very small school in Kentucky called Center College. Yeah. And Liberal what, Arts. 
liberal arts. That's so cool. And growing up in Kentucky, it really is just the bourbon heaven, you know, of the United States, of the whole category. When you really think about any type of bourbon, your mind automatically goes to Kentucky many times, you know, to Louisville, to Bardstown. Did that have some influence on your decision to go into this career, kind of being surrounded by these brands? You know what had the most influence? Um, my legal department probably kill me, but uh, is <laughs> that uh, my dad had a Manhattan every single night growing up. Um, and so I would see him have this amazing ritual. He actually was a huge Maker's Mark fan, so I get it very honestly. And sounds like an absolute G in my own <laughs> And so, um, you know, I would kind of sneak behind him and try to get those cherries um, out out of the drink if he would leave them. Um, But, you know, he um, enjoyed a bourbon every single night. It became a ritual that I saw and that I kind of fell in love with. And then once I started running uh, bar programs and the event department and things of that nature, I realized how important bourbon was in Kentucky. And then I started learning about it. So Bernie Lubbers actually is the person that taught me about the small batch collection at Beam Suntory or at that point, James B. Beam. So, you know, he was still working for us at that point. And he's the one that taught me about Basil Hayden. I remember having this aha moment of what bourbon should taste like and understanding. And then from there, learning about Knob Creek and Bookers and Bakers, and then even learning more about Maker's Mark, um, since you know that was something that I had seen my dad drink, but I hadn't really necessarily imbibed in yet until I was of age. So, yeah, Kentucky being you know my backyard definitely was influential. I think the fact that my dad and my granddad, his favorite whiskey was actually Old Granddad. So again, ironically, like my, the folks that were idols in my world were all always drinking bourbon. Definitely played a factor, and then played a factor in me wanting to get into it as well. Yeah, I can't imagine what it would be like to grow up in Kentucky because there's so much rich history there, even outside of making bourbon. You know, it really is a special place and a place, you know, every time I go, I always, I'm always learning, but I, for some reason at Louisville, I just feel like you're always, you walk away with like a piece of history that maybe you didn't know before. It doesn't matter how many times you visit. Well, and everybody's so friendly. Mm-hmm. It's just everybody wants to share and they want to share stories and they want to share a whiskey. And that's really what it's all about. And it's, it's delightful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Amanda, thank you again for jumping on this show. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? You know, where you come from, you certainly don't have that Southern drawl that we would expect um, from Louisville. <laughs> well, um, it's not London, Kentucky. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, London and Kentucky, right? Yeah, I have uh, been drinking the American whiskey Kool-Aid for a long time as well. And um, I'll look, tell you a little bit about my maker's moment, because actually that was my aha moment where I knew that I really wanted to specialize in American whiskey and not just American whiskey, but specifically Maker's Mark. And it was all because of Jane Bowie, actually, our head of innovation. She was a diplomat over in the UK market one of the first in Europe. And actually there weren't ambassadors around at that time. And to have her coming into one of the bars that I was managing, Paramount, which was a beautiful private members club designed by Tom Dixon, 34 floors above like the skyline of London. And she came in and did a training session for me and the team. And it just hooked. I was just mesmerized by not only the category, but about the stories coming out of makers and just the way that Jane brought it to life. And actually from then I had had it in my head that I wanted to move from managing bars and high volume bars to move into that side of the bar to then sort of train and educate and like spread the sort of gospel about whiskey. 
I was born in uh, California, which can't tell by my accent. <laughs> uh, so I've actually moved back to the motherland. Um, I moved over here last March, a day before everything shut down. So I got here literally a day in time. Um, so I'm heading up the education and the drinks program at the distillery now, which is a super exciting job and an incredible time to be working on the brand as we start to build Star Hill Farm. Uh, the cocktail program globally and then at the distillery there's loads of exciting stuff going on and loads of beautiful production areas to play around with but I actually come from I was a bartender so some of you might find this familiar but uh was studying international business at university <laughs> my dad calls me a searcher so I'm a Gemini I'm restless I love to travel I haven't been pinned down in one place for more than sort of seven years at a time so your eight months in Bardstown so my eight months in Bardstown that is We'll hear more about that later. It's cliffhanger. <laughs> but yeah, I basically decided to take a sabbatical uh, in the mid-year. So I went and lived in Spain and Greece uh, for a couple of years and traveled around Europe. Um, I was one of those annoying people that stood outside a bar in Europe trying to like get you in with a free shot of peach snaps or whatever it was. But had the time of my life. It was really enriching. The people I got to meet, I you know, lived with eight crazy Irish women over in Spain. And there was like eight of us living in a two bedroom flat. Um, but like, look at back with such fond memories. When I moved back to London, uh, to Manchester after that, sorry, um, I didn't have any money. I barely had a place to stay. And I fell into hospitality purely by mistake and necessity because I needed to eat and to pay my bills. So I had the idea that I was going to go back for my third year, final year of university, and then that would be it. So I actually just fell in love with the industry, drinks, the history, just, you know, the hospitality element of it from working for Jamie Stevenson in Manchester at Harvey Nichols. And ever since then, I knew that I wanted to make a career out of this. No matter how much money I'd ever make, I'd always want to be in this industry in some capacity because I haven't felt like I've belonged to an industry like I have with the hospitality and the drinks industry like I have. It feels like family, not just in the areas you're living, but globally with this community. And I absolutely just loved and fell in love with that. And I have been in this industry ever since. To my dad's disgust, he wants me to go back and finish my degree, but I'm doing pretty well now. So we're going to park that for a while you're doing just fine can you talk a little bit about it? it's so interesting to me that you know you go really from this cocktail hub of London I mean my gosh there's so many awesome bars there and so many cool cocktails you know have come out of Europe and then you find yourself in Bardstown were you in culture shock a, a little bit you had yeah, to but in a good way. I think okay. one of the reasons why I wanted to move from London is because I wanted to take all the learnings and all that inspiration and creativity and bring it over to the distillery in Loretta. But yeah, I decided to move from London, as we mentioned last March and uh, moved to Bardstown. It's a cute little town. It's been, you know, voted America's most beautiful small town. I moved there and maybe the culture shocker wasn't quite ready to move from, a, you know, a city of 8 million people to a you know town of a couple of thousand. So after nine months living in Bardstown, uh, I decided to actually move to Louisville, which is an hour and 10 minute drive away from the distillery each way. But, you know, I love to go out and drink, to eat, you know, the arts. Um, and I just decided that Louisville for the time being is probably better suited to me than Bardstown. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that I don't love Bardstown and the people around there because they're incredible. Shout out to my neighbor, Frida. 85 years old I used to go and like sit on her porch and we'd have cocktail hour I miss you Frida I want to meet you Frida <laughs> that's awesome 
you mentioned something um, that kind of stuck with me, Amanda, when you talk about hospitality feeling like a family. You know, myself, I've been in the industry for a really, really, really long time. <laughs> and it's always felt that way to me. I do feel that with this industry, you know, you, you either love it or you just don't. There's mm-hmm. not a lot, there's just not a lot of gray area. And so Megan, I'd like to throw it back over to you, you know, in your experience in hospitality, you know, where do you think kind of those heartstrings where it really pulls on our heartstrings, this industry, why is it that hospitality really has that feel of a family and like, Hey man, I've got your back. We're the same. And we are really the ones that, that stand up and um, stick up for and help out our own. We're one of those industries, you know, throughout COVID, it really was uh, hospitality itself that took care of hospitality. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to think about if you take a step back and you look at inherently what hospitality is, it's taking care of others. And I think if you get bitten by that bug, right, and you feel that passion to want to stay within the industry and within the trade community, because it truly is a community, it's because you're a curator of experiences and you want to make sure that person walks away with a smile on their face and you were part of that. And so it's not only providing those experiences, but then it's also the community that builds those experiences. And it's this moment of you're all in it together and you are, again, curating those experiences, driving um, excitement and making people really happy. And at least that's the goal. And guess what? If you don't, you kind of have some partners in crime that you can have a drink with after, after the fact. But it's definitely something for me. It was not only that community, but it was also, it's a little bit land of misfits. You know, it's, I was about to say we're a bunch of misfits that have banded together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit of this, this land of misfits that everyone's accepted and you're just happy to have another person along for the ride and you're all in it together. It's a true team and you don't get that in a lot of ways. And I think one of the things that we really saw through the pandemic and through COVID was we were all there to help each other. And it wasn't necessarily, you think about the corporate world, right? Where people are climbing a ladder and stepping on each other and taking credit. And I think the best part of hospitality is that you can help each other and you can do it together. And it's just, it should be a true community. And I think it is. Yeah, I I believe that it is. Um, It's such a special, special, special community. And it's interesting to me because, you know, even as soon as maybe 20 years ago, we didn't have maybe like the brand ambassador role, or even a role like Amanda, like how you have like at a distillery, you know, really creating the cocktails and the experience or yourself even really driving that on-premise message. I mean, it's changed so much. If you love something within the industry, you can definitely find your niche. And I would love to maybe throw it over to Amanda now and maybe talk a little bit about that. Because I know when I first started in the industry, it was like you were a bartender, you were pretty much a hostess, or you're working in the back of the house. There wasn't, you know, really the working for the distributor. There wasn't the education aspect. And now, and especially now, and I don't want, I hate using the word pivot because it grosses me out, (laughs) but so many of us are having to do that. And so I'd like to just talk about how those opportunities have changed within hospitality. 
A hundred percent. I'm with you on that one. When I was a, a young wee bartender back in the day, it was actually, we used to call it bartending BC before cranberry juice, where you had four or five ingredients to play around with. Uh, none of these incredible, like, you know, modern methods that you have in bartending now, ingredients, creativity. We were literally, you know, building uh, whiskey sours and throwing a little bit of pineapple juice in there. And uh, everything was pretty old school, but I think, yeah, when I was a bartender, that was what I saw as sort of, you know, steps in my career was, you know, become head bartender, then become bar manager. And then sort of what was after that was when I saw Jane and Dan Preisman and other ambassadors that started to sort of, you know, arrive in market, working for brands and building the categories is when I started to think, oh, there are other opportunities out there for us apart from, you know, if you want to be a career bartender, bar manager, fantastic. But if you maybe don't want to work your 80 hour weeks every Christmas, you know, you, your skill set is maybe better placed somewhere else with other opportunities. Then I think, yeah, being able to like see people in these positions on the other side of the bar was super inspirational for me. And I think find out what you're good at. You know, you need to find yourself good mentors within the hospitality industry, good friends and people around you. And you'll naturally start to figure out what your skill set is, what you're super passionate about, how you can make your mark within the industry that way. So, you know, my friend, Rebecca Dooley, she actually created a position within sort of bar PR um, that never existed outside of her creating this role at Kalu Clay. And like, she really sort of pioneered Social PR for bars, like the way that bars market themselves, the way that they market their cocktail menus, because, you know, to get to the world's best cocktail menu, it's not a matter of you printing out on like one pager anymore. It's got like, you know, the design element to it, how each cocktail ties into a theme. So you can like actually, if you don't see a position out there for yourself and you see a gap in the market, then you go after that and pave the way for other people to sort of go on that journey. But yeah, ambassadors, you can go into marketing, brand managers. So I think Megan's an incredible example of someone that's moved from, you know, bartending to actually work in brand side with the brand team globally. Um, so there are really huge opportunities out there. You know, you can go and be an ops director as, of a company. Um, you can go and create bar tools. There's so many things and opportunities for people now within the industry. The creativity is is really endless. And I think that's something, Amanda, you're really touching on there. Find the brands that you align with, with your core um, values, because there are brands out there. Everybody has a brand DNA and core values that they go after and find those brands and those folks and, and, you know, get out there. And that's, that's, yeah, I mean, hit the nail on the head with that one. Like I personality wise, um, couldn't work for, you know, Japanese whiskey specifically because of I'm, you know, I'm loud, I'm brash, I'm, you know, I'm energetic and maybe it doesn't fit so well. So find like what fits well with your personality and like what brand fits within like your values and you can't go far wrong if that's the, if that's the route you want to take. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, COVID and the pandemic has taught us a lot, right? I mean, the support wasn't really there for our industry as far as hospitality goes. And we were hit incredibly hard, even, even though, you know, hospitality is, is a trade. And typically you think that those jobs are evergreen, um, having a trade job. So I do see, you know, a lot of folks trying to figure out what their next steps are in case if we ever do go through something as equally as terrible as we had in the last year, that they feel more secure and to know that they, there are avenues to showcase their talent. So I, I appreciate those thoughts. Um, and I know that our listeners do so much. And, and then one, one more thought, mm -hmm. Bridget, on that is you can work for a brand in the industry and you can set up 
you know, charitable trusts, you can set up like community initiatives. So taking what you've learned in the industry and building that sort of local community um, that grows into sort of global, but you know, how can you take what you've learned back into the trade to do good, to educate, to inspire is what I challenge people to do out there. So we all grow as an industry together. Absolutely. Uh, Megan, I want to throw it back over to you for a moment and talk a bit about mentorship, because when we get excited you know, about our creativity and these opportunities and really figuring out our own way, a lot of times it takes a village, right, <laughs> to kind of help us get there. It's very rare that it's just yourself humming yourself along. Can you talk a bit about Maybe some people have mentored you in the industry and maybe some um, advice for our listeners on how to identify and find a mentor and what to do. You know, what are the steps? Sure. I mean, first and foremost, don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to find a mentor. I think a lot of folks get in their heads about that they don't know everything and they feel like they should. And all of us started from somewhere. And all of us had to take that step back and, and it's okay not to know everything and surround yourself with the people that want to teach you and want to learn. And that maybe you guys can build off each other. I reach out to Amanda pretty much daily and ask for cocktail advice and things of that nature. And we bounce ideas off each other about education and whatnot. And so find those people that are just as passionate as you are about something, but also don't be afraid to be humbled and, and know that you don't know everything. I think that's probably the best piece of advice that, that I can give. As far as finding folks and thinking about mentors, I will say when I started at uh, Jim Beam, Fred No was amazing to me. He took me around. I remember the first week I worked there, I got told I was going to hop in the car with Fred No and drive around. And he was going to show me where the first still was. And I was going to meet his family and I was going to do everything. And I like had a panic attack moment of like, it's Fred No. He's, you know, the master distiller of Jim Beam and seventh generation master distiller at that. And I got in the car and he was the kindest person and had such a big heart. And flat out was like, if you ever need anything, you can call me. And I remember thanking him for being super honest with me. And he said, I, <laughs> I'm not going to say exactly what he said. It was very colorful. Please do. <laughs> he said, I'll do an accent for you. <laughs> he said, well, Megan, I'm not going to sugarcoat a turd. Um, and so, you know, he was always there and I could always call him and ask him any question. And, and so he was the first person um, that really helped me out. And then I met some really amazing folks. Um, like Robin Nance, who is not only my best friend, but also um, a person in the industry. And we try really hard to challenge each other and not just say yes, because we're friends. And I think it's really important to have friends that you can say, yes, is that the best idea? And have that conversation and challenge each other back and forth and then come to a decision that's all your own. Uh, Jane Bowie was a big one for me. I actually met her previous to working. I met her when I was working at 21C. She came and did um, bourbon and women events and um, she came and hosted. And I remember meeting her and she's one of the first people I reached out to when I applied for the, the Jim Beam job. So I've had a lot of um, amazing advocates throughout my career and mentors. And, you know, there is a definite, um, that is also two different terms where you have a mentor who is somebody that is challenging you and asking the questions and checking in with you. You also need to have advocates, which are folks that are going to help you along the way in your career and willing to talk to other people about you and willing to help you advance. And so try to find those people, whether it's mentors or advocates, but everybody is there to really encourage your career and, and help you get to the next stage if that's what you want. 
That's some really, really good advice. Something that you said really stood out to me is not staying, you know, just being very humble about it and not being afraid to ask, Mm -hmm. like always ask the question, right? Not to be afraid to ask a question. What about you, Amanda? Um, Really, you know, who are some of the mentors that you've had in your journey? So I mentioned Jane Bowie. She's probably like one of the forefront. Um, And I think Megan's right. I think with, you know, the difference between, you know, inspirational friends you know surrounding yourself with people like-minded people people are going to challenge your perceptions your values they're kind of honest conversations with and then there's like your mentors and then you know there's just people there that have made an impact on your career so like mentorship wise I'd say Brian Silver from uh, Balthazar um, I learned a lot from Brian like traditional like old school cocktails classic cocktails you know how cocktails were made uh, back in the day and then the DNA of those drinks. Um, and he let me, you know, I set up a cigar and whiskey bar under Brian at uh, Five Hartford Street in London, which was this bougie ass like private members club. And he gave me this like whiskey and cigar bar to be able to, you know, put together my dream whiskey list, you know, like a dream humidor in there. Like, and I like gave me that to run and had real sort of trust and faith in me, but then also like, you know, elevated my education within that. Claire Warner is a big one for me. I think we talk about mindfulness now and sort of you've got healthy hospo and we're exercising and better for it as an industry. Because like when I was on the bar, you know, it was party stations, you know, drinking shots. It was, you know, the lifestyle wasn't sort of akin to being healthy at all. And I think Claire was one of the first ones that actually opened up conversation about mental health. Um, about health, like physical health within the industry, about how we can better ourselves and our careers, be mindful of this sort of stuff. And then she went on to set up, um, you know, C-Lip and create a whole new sort of drinks category in non-alcoholic spirits. Um, So she is a huge inspiration for me as well. I've had a few female sort of mentors and inspirations, but actually most of the mentors and inspirational like sort of characters I've had within my career have been men that have like built me up, that have been super supportive. So, you know, I talked about Brian Silver, Jamie Stevenson. I wouldn't be in this industry without him. He really truly taught me how to like combine flavors and the true essence of, you know, the DNA of cocktails and methods and everything else. I don't know. I find inspiration everywhere. Megan next to me, like I'm a better person for the way I work within this company because of her. And because we work so well together. So I would say it changes as my career progresses. You know, who I look to for inspiration uh, or mentorship changes depending on like what I sort of want in my five-year plan or what I'm looking for to improve on myself or, you know, or my background or my education with it. So that's what I would say. I was rambling then, sorry. You were not rambling. You had really <laughs> great, keep me on track. Had a great shout out to Megan like, too. No, it's amazing. She's it's incredible. So she's a force I know to be reckoned with. She's, you know, she's got that creativity element, but she gets shit done. And yes. I need, you know, I yes. need a Coke sometimes. And I, you know, for all my incredible, crazy, creative ideas, like I need keeping on track and like to see them come to life. I need someone like Megan by my side. <laughs> we all need someone like this Megan by our side. <laughs> You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, Claire Warner and how she really created that space and spotlighted like mental health and, you know, something in our industry as much as like, I love it and I do, but, you know, I'll be the first one to say like, I've been burned out more than one time, you know, in my career because it is so fast and furious. And I think that, you know, when I say that you either love it or you don't. And I think that that's 
a big part of it, because if you let it, it it can just trample right over your face. And so when I, I can tell you, and I always go back like 20, 20 plus years ago, you know, um, there was no conversation around mental health. There was no conversation around health. You know, we were smoking cigarettes while we were bartending for Christ's sake. So, <laughs> and we were at home deep in our thoughts because you didn't want to say this stuff out loud on how no, you no. feel like you felt like you're the only person. So I think us opening up conversation within this industry, mm-hmm. A, you know, you're not alone and B, the more you talk about stuff like that, you can start to process and, you know, try and get your head around like how you're feeling. So yeah, I think that's been a huge thing. This industry is just, you know, opening up that conversation with, you know, mental and physical health for us. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to know from each of you, what are some things that you do to kind of set maybe some boundaries and to, to really keep your headspace, you know, nice and clear within this industry to not get that, those effects of being burnt out because it's, it's absolutely zero fun when you let the industry just kind of trample on you. And I, I'm just talking from my personal experience that I've had it happen to me just multiple times. And so um, let's go ahead and start with Megan. And then I'm going to flip it back over to you, Amanda. Do you have any tips on just to kind of just to stay fresh and really to take care of yourself? Oh, um, so a few years back, I'm going I'm to take a zoom out just for a second. Um, a few years back, Johnny Mandel and I uh, were both traveling around the West Coast together. And we started doing a program that was called Live Long and Prosper. And it was for the trade community specifically um, to talk about mental health and to have that discussion around how do you recharge? How do you continue? How do you be on all the time? And the fact of the matter was, is that neither Johnny or myself are experts, but both of us can speak to our own personal experiences. And I share and I share openly about this because I think it's really important to have the conversation and to make people know that they are not alone is that I have struggled with depression and anxiety for many, many years. Um, I uh, have been on medication. I've been off medication. I, you know, and there's a lot of decisions that you have to make and you have to do whatever is personally right for you to find whatever that healthy balance is. For me, it is exercise no matter what I force myself to do something every single day. Um, If I'm, well, it used to be when I was on the road, it was like, even if it was 15 minutes, that was better than doing nothing. My goal is a minimum of 30 and I try to do an hour. Um, But again, you have to be flexible with yourself and you have to be kind to yourself and know that your schedule might not always permit that. So being forgiving to yourself is also part of it. Um, But exercise, being forgiving to yourself and also knowing that there's going to be really good days and there might be some days that it's not as good. And, you know, again, surrounding yourself and being humble enough to accept it. And that can be really, really hard, especially when if you're behind the bar, you're expected to be on, you're expected to be happy and you're expected to be of service. And, and sometimes you can forget to be human. And so making sure that you make that time and that space for yourself For me, it became exercise and podcasts. I actually run and I listen to a podcast and I completely check out. And that is my very happy place. Um, And I learned that I was a really not nice person when I didn't do that. Um, And so, you know, just understanding what you need is probably the most important thing you can do and know that your journey is going to be different than everybody else's. And that's okay as well. Thank you for sharing that, Megan, because, um, you know, I too have suffered um, from depression throughout my life. And I know that if I don't get my butt up and move, 
that I, I know what it's like not to be so nice to everybody as much as, as much as everybody thinks Bridget's so nice, not all the time. So you have to get up, but you know, yeah. Amanda, what about for you? And it's not just, you know, how other people perceive you, you know, I mean, I went through a stage last year where I lost all my confidence. So I, and for me, that's actually a huge thing. Uh, so my like creativity and confidence are two, my like two, like, you know, big things out there. And I felt like I lost both of them last year and I really struggled with it just because of COVID you're talking about pivoting and some people have made the most of it, but I probably struggled a little bit more than some within last year and like trying to find my feet within what that looked like. So what I will say is the company you work for, whether it be a bar, whether it be a corporate company, no matter who it is, they're always going to take what you're willing to offer them. So it's for you to push back and for you to set boundaries on that, because sometimes it, you're your own worst enemy with, you know, filling your diary, trying to get as much stuff done as possible. And actually, is it on the company or is it on you to take a step back and see what you want out of it, to, like to be, you to be able to get a respite? Um, so I will say that as well is like, think about, you know, how you can change it yourself as well as like that sort of company change. Um, and both of those working together, I think is key to it. That's a really good point is finding that corporate culture that, or it doesn't have to be corporate, just the culture, the work culture that fits your needs and, and feels right to you. And having those open discussions. I had a company year, this was years ago that somebody actually told me that because I was single and of a certain age that I didn't necessarily deserve to have work-life balance because that wasn't a thing. And I, that's obviously stuck with me for many reasons obviously no longer with that company, you know, making sure that you fit with whatever they are looking for, because to Amanda's point, a lot of companies are out for that bottom dollar and they are out for as much as they can get out of you and they'll take, take, take. And so just making sure you do set those boundaries, I think is really important. And having those conversations with your managers and making sure that they know, and or, or if you're running the place, making sure that you're allowing your team to have those conversations with you. It should be an open dialogue back and forth. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, everyone will be more productive if they're able to be honest and able to be more fruitful at their job. Can't believe somebody told you that. Yeah. Oh, it didn't my. last much longer there. No, no, I can't imagine. Thank God. I'm raging. I'm raging over her. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, could we take it back just a little bit, back to the distillery, back to Maker Smart? Um, someone that I'd like to talk about historically at Maker's Mark that that we're just really starting to learn more more about her in the past couple of years as Marjorie. And so I was hoping that one of you and, and maybe we could start off with Amanda and then flip door to Megan is just talk a bit about who she is and why she's important to Maker's Mark. Then Megan, I have some questions for you around her. Waterworks are about to start because I get quite emotional when I talk about Margie, but to the point where I think I was a, a whiskey show doing a seminar in Poland and I think I actually like cried a little bit and I felt like everyone in the room was just like what is this woman doing get a grip but she's been so instrumental to Maker's Mark and building Maker's as this global brand as well as the industry and the category as a whole so her getting inducted into the Bourbon Hall of Fame in 2014 for the work that she's done on Maker's the Kentucky Distill Association said that she's forever changed the face of Bourbon you know for the work that she's done on Maker's and you know it's true it was the first true sort of premium bourbon on the market. You pay an extra like couple of bucks a bottle, which was a lot of money back in the 50s for it. And Bill was quite happy just tinkering around with this hobby whiskey for him and his friends and locals around the area. 
And it was actually Margie Samuels, his wife and the co-founder that turned it into this iconic sort of like brand that it is today. And for every dollar that Bill put into the whiskey, Margie made him give her a dollar into putting into the marketing for Maker's Mark. So everything you see about Maker's, she's the reason why you buy your first bottle, the name, the iconic red wax, you know, the font, the everything is Margie. And Bill's the reason why you buy your second bottle because the juice is so good. So Bill and Margie met, um, they were both studying uh, engineering at university. She was always top of her class uh, and he was always at the bottom of the class. And um, she never let him live that down actually, but uh, <laughs> she had no marketing experience whatsoever. She was just an absolute natural at it. And uh, there was no such thing as bourbon tourism before Margie sort of paved the way in the 50s. She did up the distillery. We purchased an old rundown sort of former gristmill and distillery called the Burks Distillery, changed it to Star Hill Farm. Margie modeled on, on an old sort of Victorian town. She wanted somewhere where friends and family and fans of the brand could come and visit us to see what we're doing, to see how we're making the stuff. Um, yeah, and just to come and check us out. So... She's pretty special within, you know, the maker's family, um, the way we sort of see Margie. Every single hand-dipped bottle was because of Margie. And like, just think about her in the 50s as a woman setting up this pioneering brand as a woman in the 50s, given like the right, you know, just let loose on the name, the bottle, the design, the everything on it was just phenomenal in itself. So yeah, she got rid of her oil in a deep fat fryer at home, burnt in some stick candle wax and had to go at the first sort of prototype bo bottle of uh, makers dipped in her uh, kitchen at home. And you'll be pleased to know that uh, the wax recipe has come a long way since then. We're not using <laughs> stick candle wax. Took us six years to hone that wax recipe that we use, those beautiful sort of tendrils that drip down the bottle that we're iconic for. But that truly was all Margie. Everything down to the labels would be hand ripped and her font that's now a globally recognized font to this day. So um, we're actually, for the first time, sort of redesigning the bottling hall at Makers. We've got this beautiful vestibule that we're creating with glass art that Rob Samuels and local glass artists have been working on designing. And it's a true homage to Margie and the work she's done on Makers Mark. So hopefully you guys get to come down and visit when that's finished and you get to see it. Yeah, I'll, I'll shut up now. I'm sure Megan's got to no, something. No, I, 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 totally I have there. nothing else to say. No. I just want to keep listening to Amanda and, yes. and pay tribute to Margie because I, I, no one could wax more poetically. <laughs> I do think Margie, Marjorie um, was very bold in her time, right? I mean, women, women were not really allowed in those spaces and she just pushed through and um, had so, so many people respected her. And because of her, like you said, she had such a big impact on the whole category of bourbon, let alone just Maker's Mark. And so, um, Megan, I want to ask you, you know, if Marjorie was a around today, what do you think she would think of the distillery and of really of what, what where women are it, within our um, society today? Just a little question. <laughs> I got out of that one lightly. <laughs> um, I think she'd be proud of how her son and grandson have uh, held the distillery up and made sure to stay true to the founder's values. The fact that every single bottle is still hand dipped, every single label is still hand cut. Um, the fact that we haven't changed our label if you take a look at that original bottle back from the 50s and you look at the bottle now, there's not much difference. They're extremely similar. And so I think she would be proud of that. 
I think she'd be proud that Jane Bowie as a woman is um, the director of innovation. I think that, you know, knowing that our private select program is run by a woman, you know, there, there's women throughout um, is really, really important. Our brand director is a woman. I think she would love that. And then I think that as far as hospitality goes, I think one of the other things that um, Amanda definitely alluded to is she was really the founder of bourbon tourism. Um, she wanted folks to come to the home place. And, and that really drives back to this idea of hospitality. And that's one thing that really attracted me to makers and makes me continue to have so much passion for the brand is that we believe in hospitality to our core. We want everybody to come to our home place. We constantly are inviting people over. We always want to share our whiskey. And I think she would be very proud of the fact that our distillery is a national historic landmark and that we're still inviting, pe inviting people there every day. And although we're doing improvements, um, such as the cellar or the brand new lakeside tasting room, we're also um, preserving our watershed and we're doing things the right way. And so I think she'd be proud of it. I think she'd be excited. I, I mean, I would like to think she'd also like more women around, but I think we definitely do have a decent amount of women in leadership. And, um, I think it's pretty great. I think as well, just to add to that is, you know, everything we do at Makers is to protect that flavor vision, that founder's vision that yes. Bill and Margie created in the early fifties. So you know, you might hear people from Makers talking about the fact that we're inefficient and proud of it. You know, sticking to some of those traditional methods we've been using since the 50s, making sure that everything we do, we're not like, you know, building bigger stills, bigger fermenters, but replicating the small ones that we have. And everything we do is because that flavor vision that Bill and Margie had that we're protecting. So everything new that comes out of Makers is that one mash bill recipe, that one yeast strain, that one production process. And actually all these nuances in the bottles of Makers that you guys are trying is because of proof as an avenue for flavor. So whatever proof that is, you're drawing out different flavor profiles at different points. And then what Jane's been doing with Rob and the diplomats with the private select program where, you know, how you cook oak, how long you cook it for and the temperatures you cook it at, starting to manipulate flavors that are coming out and like bringing drawing characters out of that bourbon. Yeah. So I think, I think she'd be proud that we've really protected that flavor vision. Mm -hmm. I think that she would too. Make I don't smart. think she'd be very keen on my dress sense because she was like an incredible dresser. Like, oh, <laughs> she'd dress up to the nines and look perfect all the time. So me rocking up in Converse with like barely brushed hair, I've probably the, I think that's the, probably the only thing that she'd probably comment on. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's really funny. <laughs> uh, can we talk a bit about cocktails? Sure. Let's talk a little about cocktails. Um, the first time that I met you was at Garage Bar and it was years ago. Um, Kentucky was one of my territories and yeah. I was out there educating. And so I want to talk to you just a little bit about, you know, how have you seen the application of Maker's Mark bourbon in general change in cocktails from the classics to where we are today? And where do you see it going? <laughs> and then we'll flip it over to Amanda because I know she's just like chewing at the bit to chime in. Well, I, no, I mean, Amanda and I have a lot of conversations about this of how do we bring makers to life? How do we how do people want to drink makers? And the fact of the matter is, is we have developed a, a cocktail strategy that brings to life modern classics. So when you think about the bartender and what they're doing these days and all the amazing applications that are out there, why do we have to stick with just classic bourbon cocktails? Why can we not either sub in makers mark for something like an espresso martini or uh, a French martini or anything like that? Or look at the newer classics, such as a gold rush, um, which I, I find delightful. It's one of my personal favorites. 
and really think about how makers comes to life and knowing that we've been around since the fifties and it's a classic style of bourbon. It is a weeded bourbon, right? So it's going to be a little bit sweeter um, than our standard rise and really thinking about how to play with that. But I think what we're really seeing with bourbon in general is that it doesn't have to play by the rules of just being in bourbon cocktails. How do we expand that? And at Makers, that's really what we're trying to do. And I'm going to let Amanda talk a little bit more about that because it was really one of her brainchild uh, moments when she when she was when we started thinking about modern classics for Makers Mark. Oh wow! <laughs> well, how do I carry on that one? Um, yeah, we have uh, been working on this for the last sort of year, um, along with some other members of the team. Brian Stur, just shout out to you. Create something that's a little bit off the beaten track for an American whiskey brand. So Megan's right, you know, we've got all these distilleries and incredible brands are all trying to own the same three cocktails, a whiskey sour, an old fashioned, maybe a mint julep. So how do we sort of differentiate and actually show people that, you know, bourbon and specifically Maker's Mark is not just for your sort of stirred down and brown cocktails, your boozy drinks like your old fashions, your Negronis, but actually can start to play in not only just other spirit categories like gins, vodkas, but also like lighter style drinks like spritzes, for example. So like, you know, what flavors you're using in there, Kate, play a key part, um, but Maker's and bourbon actually fit into all of those drinks families, just depends on how you mix them. Um, so yeah, we've, um, one thing that we've been doing at the distillery, which is what we're taking out globally, um, is yeah, modern classics. So drinks that are created, you know, post 1980s, a lot of them have been created by Sam Ross. So big shout out to Sam Ross and the late Dick Bradsell, God rest his soul. Um, but they've created some of the iconic modern classics and they work, you know, when you swap them out with bourbon in there as well. I think another thing when we're talking about drinks is, you know, ingredients matter now, whereas before it was a off the shelf stuff that you were buying to put into these cocktails where now, you know, specifically sourcing like local honey for your gold rush cocktail, for example. So, you know, you're not only just lowering your environmental footprint by like shopping locally, you're supporting local businesses, you know, you're getting the terror and the flavor from your area. So what we did at Makers is set up an apiary. So we've got our own bees that pollinate at Makers Mark uh, on the wildflowers, the production gardens. And then we use that in our cocktails as a sugaring agent at the distillery. So starting to think about provenance of your ingredients and how you're using ingredients, knowing that you don't have to put 700 ingredients into one cocktail, but you know, you just hero one incredible sort of ingredient produce wise with Makers and let them sing in a drink. Um, I think is what we're doing at the distillery. And then it ties into like the bourbon, like bourbon is distilled by nature. It's an agricultural product, right? So we're makers and at the distillery where we've got in, uh, innovation gardens, we're, we're partnering with Dan Barberon. So, you know, growing for flavor as well as yield on things to make sure like what best grows in our soil climate around the area and like what produce can we then take into the cocktail program from there? Um, so there's, yeah, we're really excited about a, the modern classics that you guys will start to see sort of drip and feed into market, challenge you to start thinking about creating your own modern classics and leaving your mark on them. Cause we're due another couple of modern classics out there. It's been a while. Um, and then we've also, Megan has been the curator. I've been feeding in a bit on a modern classics cocktail book. That's going to be available to the trade with, you know, recipes little bit about the brand drinks families you know syrup recipes batching so hopefully you guys start to see that out in market as well that's super cool we'll be watching out for that for sure 
Um, we'll send you one, Bridge. Well, we're going to have you back on the show, both of you. So for sure, <laughs> to talk about it when it comes out. You know, I would love to know, and maybe I'll start with Megan, as we're coming out of the pandemic, how do you think our industry is going to look and maybe feel just a little bit differently? I hope it does feel differently. A lot mm-hmm. of conversations I've been having, we were a little broken beforehand. Oh. So taking a step back, making sure that our infrastructure is right, that everybody from the farmer all the way through to the restaurants and and then to the consumer, you know, is taking that extra step and making sure that our people are safe is really important. I think we lost a lot of that. I know there's been a few folks, you know, Danny Myers at one point really tried to get everybody for this, you know, equal pay and tip share kind of moment. And, you know, certain folks were able to prescribe to it and certain folks have done it well. And certain folks, unfortunately, haven't been able to. And the fact of the matter was, is when, you know, the pandemic came, it really highlighted so many issues and challenges that we've had. And one thing, you know, we Makers Mark partnered with the Lee Initiative in the past year to, you know, really try to help um, reboot. So not only just feed folks and, you know, open up emergency sites all around the country. So when, when everything was shut down, we opened up emergency sites that folks could come and not just get a meal, but get diapers and and things like that, that were necessary. And these chefs amazingly opened their doors and allowed us to do this. But now we're also working on the reboot program, which is all about pairing farmers with amazing uh, restaurant partners and making sure that we are feeding those both from both ends. Right. And I, I just, I hope it's not the same, but I hope it's better. And I hope we all take that step back to make it better. And that leadership really thinks about equal pay and every part of the process and not just, you know, from when you walk in the the door at the restaurant and that also, you know, our, our back of house and front of house should be, you know, really earning the same amount. So I think there's a lot of really important conversations that have happened that unfortunately a pandemic took to get started but let's hope it doesn't stay the same and let's hope it changes for the better. And I think we all need to be the voices to do that. Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. Mandel, what do you think? What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> I was just so in awe of like what she was saying. I was like, Shit, what's the question? <laughs> oh goodness. The question was just, you know, how do you see the industry changing if at all, you know, like when we come out of this pandemic? We're kind of. I think everybody is kind of giving everyone a break a little bit more. Oh, I hope so. We've had our own things to deal with. So I think for sure, yeah, we're, we're going to be kind of more mindful of other people and their feelings and other people's lives. And, you know, I think that's a huge thing. Also, yeah, Megan said about the sort of community work. And I know I just keep banging on about community, but I think it's, you know, we've really banded together and got stronger as an industry and a community during this. And I hope that the learnings, the sharings and just having each other's backs just continues. During COVID, I think, you know, we've probably regressed a little bit in the industry when it comes to sort of environmental impact Mm, and being on that journey, just because other people have had bigger things to worry about, like paying bills and like keeping bars open and such like. But I'd like us to see us sort of back on track with where we're going with that. Yeah, we've taken plastic straws off the bar. What is next? Let's look at big picture stuff, you know, so sourcing locally, even if you live in cities, You've got urban farmers that are doing incredible stuff in shipping containers below ground. So even if you live in the city, there's things you can get involved in. Right. Um, I think when it comes to sort of single use plastics, getting rid of that, you know, 
We've got a glass to sand machine at the bar at Maker's Mark. So, you know, crushing down all the glass bottles that we use at the restaurant and bar, turn it into like fine, you know, sand that you can run through your fingers that we can then remelt to turn into other drinking vessels for future menus or stuff for the gift shop. So, you know, paper menus. Doggy from Silo in London, it's one of the first zero waste restaurants there is. And he actually projects the menu onto the wall of the restaurant every day. So it sort of cuts down on all that paper and it just looks badass as well. So starting to think about that, really sort of partnering with farmers, local producers, get a sort of hive of bars around the area together to see what you can all do. And then also just supporting local businesses like, come on, I've shut down on my online accounts. I won't say which ones they are, but just try and shop as local as possible. So, you know, these small businesses have got a chance coming out of COVID. They would be my my top things. I, I Life's love, too I short as well. It. So go and travel, eat that donut that you're thinking about like leaving. <laughs> yeah, life's too short is what's come out of this. Yeah, it is. Being more mindful and more thoughtful is what I'm hearing from, from you both. Um, as we close, you know, the show today, I would love to know or hear from you, both of you, and I'll start off with Megan, just some final words of wisdom for our listeners, you know, for those who are maybe just they're starting out in the industry, or even veterans in the industry who maybe need to just um, be reignited, have their passion be reignited. We can take a minute if we need to. I know it's a big, it's a big question, it's a, it's a big question, Bridge. I know. Love saves the day. Mic drop. We're off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Find inspiration everywhere. Don't limit yourself. Inspiration can come from a walk, from a person, from a pet, from a book. I think that we are so distracted and so very much in our phones and multitasking constantly that sometimes we forget that inspiration could be staring us in our faces. I used to have a friend that would tell me when I felt a little burnout, she would ask, have I read a book lately? Mm. Not, not like on my phone or not listen to one. Cause I, I do listen to books most of the time, but like actually picked up a book and made my brain work to read it. And that was a really good piece of advice that has stuck with me of, have I read a book lately? And then I think the other thing is having conversations now that, you know, the vaccine and fingers crossed, everybody out there is able to get it if they want it. But those in-person conversations, so you guys can't see us, but Amanda and I are actually in the same room doing this. And she walked in, I had six different things. As soon as she walked in, I was like, can I just get your opinion on this? And just having a real life person to have a conversation about multiple stuff. And another opinion was, it was a thought starter and, and you know, finding those folks that feed your energy and feed your inspiration. Um, and then I'll say one more thing and then I'll let Amanda go. And I said it earlier was staying humble. Um, you know, I've switched jobs a couple of times within this company and this last job in particular humbled me to a point that it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable at the time. And I will say it was also one of the better experiences that I've had because I had to ask questions and I had to ask for help. And I will go back to saying that that is entirely okay. And if anybody ever makes you feel like it's not, then they're probably not, not the people you want to surround yourself with, but we should all be striving to learn and all be striving to ask the questions and be challenged. And so humble yourself and be willing to do that. What she said. <laughs> don't be a dick. Love saves the day. What she said. That's the oh, it's so good. Don't, don't be a dick. Love saves the day. That's 
that's actually quite perfect. <laughs> if we just follow those two things, yeah, but I should have just said that it was much <laughs> the world. The world would be such a better place. <laughs> Y'all start get, singing and holding hands. Get yes. out into communities. Get out. You know, make yourself feel uncomfortable in different cultures. Like, just yeah, open yourself up. I love it. I love it. Um, I want to thank you both for sharing your time and your energy today. I do hope that you'll come back one or two times. I mean, I just hope that you come back. This has been a lot of fun and we have talked about so much and I feel like we're just scratching the surface with you two. So I would love to have (laughs) you back. You're saying we talk a lot. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, but I, 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 I over here. Yes. But I want to, um, I just want to wish you both just really good health right now and just a lot of peace. So thank you for being on Served Up. This has been just a, truly a joy. It was awesome. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having us. Bridget, we love you and what you do. So thank you for having us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!